Welcome to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. Spoken Gospel is a ministry that's dedicated to speaking the gospel out of every corner of Scripture. In Luke 24, Jesus told his disciples that every part of the Bible was about him. So each week, hosts David and Seth work through a passage of Scripture to see how it's all about Jesus and his good news. Let's jump in. Well, welcome everyone to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. Seth, how are you today? Doing good. This is officially, officially. our first podcast to record on our brand new equipment. Yes, which 100% of it was bought by our podcast listeners. So, so thank you, you. If you are one of the 67 people that helped us, thank you so, so much. Yeah. And if you're just a regular listen, listener, thank you so, also, so much. Also, thank you for <laughs> listening. Yeah. So, um, yeah, we're really excited to be coming to you off, off the new we equipment. We sound better and sweeter. You know why. Yeah, or if we sound the same, you also good, mission accomplished. <laughs> if we sound worse, we're dialing in the stuff. Yeah, we're, yeah, we're, we're working on <laughs> so it. So I don't know where we are in that range, but so. here we are. And where we are is in First John, moving into chapter 2. That's right. We ended last week on the tail end of John's comments about assurance and fighting against the false teachers. Mm-hmm. And we're moving into a section about what it means to not sin. What it means to not sin. It's like, I think most Christians would want to not sin. Right. And like want to do the right thing. Yeah. So John is really going to lean in here and talk about not sinning. And he means to chapter one, I write this letter to you so that you may not sin. (laughs) There you go. The the purpose, one of the purposes of his letter is to keep his children, his his little flock from sinning. And one of the things that's interesting about John is he makes some pretty strong like statements about sinning. Like Mm. in 3.8, whoever abides in God does not sin. Mm. He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. Whoever is born of God does not sin. These really emphatic like comments about sin. Yeah. And at the same time, he's going to kind of unpack, well, what happens when we do sin? Right. Because it's like, well... Wait, I thought I've been born of God. I thought I believed in Jesus. I thought I was a Christian. Yes. And yet I still sin. Yes. Am I not a Christian? Does that undercut my assurance? That's exactly right. Do you think that's something the the antichrists or the secessionists like wanted them to believe that like because we've talked about how like it was sinlessness that these antichrists were proposing that like yep. it was like I don't have to confess my sins. I'm not doing anything. I'm not doing wrong. anything. Do you think You're they not also doing anything wrong. Yeah, do, do they also think they were also like like making them feel like they were really sinful? Or that's what that's probably what John's doing here is mm-hmm. being like, no, you, there is sin in the world and yeah. you do struggle with it. It's kind of hard to tell. Yeah, it could go both ways. Like, yeah. don't worry, that sin's not a problem, but the real sin is this one, and you're mm-hmm. guilty of that one. Who knows which way sure. it worked, and if it worked both ways, I'm sure it did, <laughs> because like I don't know, I don't know one group of teachers, false or otherwise, that have certain moral obligations they want you to do and certain bad guys and moral like opponents they want you to avoid. Right. So it's, it's probably works. Probably both ways. Works both ways. Great. So we ended kind of in the middle of Paul's thought, uh, John's thoughts, not Paul, uh, John's thoughts where he's speaking, if we say, mm-hmm. and he's kind of putting words into the mouth of these false teachers. Right. This is in verse 10. If we say we have not sinned, we make him, referring to God, mm-hmm. a liar, and his word is not in us. He's just said in the verse before, if we say we have no sin, we actually are self-deceived. We deceive ourselves mm-hmm. and God's truth isn't in us. So he's like escalating. If we can, if we say we don't have anything wrong with us, we just say we don't have a reason to repent. 
we're not only being self-deceived, you don't know yourself as well as you think you do, right. but you're also calling God a liar. Right. So what do we, like, the question that made me ask was like, in what way are we saying God is a liar if we say that we have not sinned? Like what's, what, what are we saying God has lied about? I think what we're saying God has lied about is like the state of humanity. Oh, that you, we are sinful. So if you say, God says you are sinful. If you say, I have not sinned, then you're calling God a liar. I, th I think that's at most basic. That's basic, yeah, that's good. That it could be that. Do you have another idea? I was thinking, because it was we were just told that, and we're going, and then he's going to talk about it right after this, that God sent Jesus to be the forgiver of our sins. Mm -hmm. The atoning sacrifice. That's right. And so, like, and when we have fellowship with him, the blood of Jesus purifies us from all sin and all unrighteousness. Well, if we say we've not sinned, then we're saying that we didn't need Jesus. Uh -huh. And so we're saying that God says yeah. that Jesus is the atoning sacrifice. Right. And we're saying, well, actually, I'm perfect. Then we're calling God a liar. And in a sense, we're claiming that God... And and, and again... We're calling Jesus' sacrifice, sacrifice for our sin a sham. A sham, or, worthless. Or, and and to take it a step further, the word liar in First John often refers to what the Antichrists are doing. They are uh -huh. the liars. Yes. So Antichrist and liars are almost synonymous in First John. And so in a sense, if we're saying that we have not sinned, we are calling God an Antichrist because mm. he killed Jesus for no reason. Like Jesus died for no reason. The atonement was pointless. He must uh -huh. be against his own son right. if Christ died for nothing. Interesting. So it's just like, whoa. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. If we say we haven't sinned, we're saying Christ died for nothing and that God is an Antichrist. And it's like, it's yes. just, the stakes got higher. The stakes got really high. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, John will point out one of the things that these antichrists continue to talk about is the fact that Jesus did not come or Jesus did not, God in the relationship with his son is messed up in some way, right. or at least in these Christians' understanding, and they're pushing against that. So to call God a liar isn't just to call God the Father a liar, mm -hmm. but God the Son a liar right. and what he accomplished for us. Right. Makes the cross sense. was a lie. Right. Right, yeah. So what I think is interesting is to jump from there. Mm -hmm. He says, okay, here's the problem with saying we haven't sinned. You make God a liar. Mm -hmm. His transition statement is chapter 2, verse 1. My little children, I am writing these things so that you may not sin. Mm -hmm. Which I, 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 it always kind of throws me when I go from those two verses. And I, I don't know why all the time. It's yeah. just like, okay, if we say we have not sinned, we make God a liar. But don't worry, I'm going to tell you how not to sin. I thought the perfect, right? right? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, it's like he's saying that's like there's a difference between claiming sinless perfection and like working towards sinless perfection. Mm -hmm. There's one thing that's saying is like, I, I haven't sinned. And another thing to say that God's freed me from sin. Like that, or like I'm uh, sinning less or, you know, like. Right. So you're saying that what uh, John is getting at here is like, there's something the false teachers are saying is like, there's such a thing as you can just be totally free from sin and not guilty of anything before God. Mm -hmm. And then John is saying, um, no, you're not totally free from sin in the way the Antichrist mean, mm -hmm. but you're freed from the power of sin so right. that you can, over time, look more like Jesus. Right. Is that kind of what you're getting Yeah, at? maybe. That it's like, he's saying that, like, maybe the Antichrist is saying, the battle's done. Mm -hmm. There's no need to worry about how you live anymore because we've died to sin. Maybe, you know, you, yes. he could, like, maybe they're quoting Paul wrong, and right. you know, and they're using his words against him. And, like, we're, we're dead to sin. So like, you can do whatever you want. You're free to do whatever you want. And none of it is actually sin. And, and John's like, hold on. The, the battle is still still going on for how you live. That makes sense. But yes. the goal 
is not for you to claim like ignorantly that, oh, you know, I just don't sin anymore. And it's like, no, 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 you, you do, but I want you not to, <laughs> I want you to yes. not sin even though like, but the battle's still alive. Yeah. The antichrist are placing the way in which we are freed from sin in the wrong place mm-hmm. by minimizing sin, denying sin. And John wants to say, no, no, like you are free from sin, but not because of your perception of what's right and wrong, but what Christ has done on the mm-hmm. cross, which is exactly what he goes That's into. That's right. So That's like, first. I'm writing this so you won't sin, but if you do, mm-hmm. which is kind of an assumed you will, because a few verses earlier, he said like, we continually confess and live in the light, you know, and as we do, the blood of Jesus forgives us and purifies us. So it's like, he knows that Christians, even who are living in the light, continue to sin. So, but we don't, he wants you to sin less, but yeah. when you do sin... Here's what happens. Verse one, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. That's it. That's it. That's it. So like an advocate is an, is like an interesting metaphor here yeah, that he it's uses. It's actually used in John's gospel mm. to refer to the Holy Spirit. He's oh, right. The, the, the helper. Par- is that Paraclete? Paraclete. Yeah. He's the helper. Right, He's right, the right. one who comforts us when we're doubting or he assures us, reminds us of what Jesus's teachings are. But yeah. here it's Jesus himself. Right. An advocate also has like that courtroom type of yeah paraclete paralegal yep <laughs> yeah 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 he's like he's on our behalf acting as our defense attorney mm-hmm. against the accusations of the prosecuting attorney satan or the false teachers or the antichrist and he's saying no jesus christ stands as your defense attorney before god himself claiming that you are innocent mm-hmm. which is crazy because we he just admitted that we've sinned. Right, yeah. Even if you do sin, don't you realize that you have Jesus as your defense attorney saying that you're innocent before God the Father? Yeah, and it's like that uh, opens a big question of like, well, how is that? How is Jesus not the liar now? Because uh-huh. I'm not innocent. Well, good and then, thing, and there's good a, thing a, verse 2 is here. here. <laughs> he is, now depending on your translations, a couple different things right. are going to happen here. If you have an NIV, it's going to say, Jesus is the atoning sacrifice for your sins. Mm-hmm. Or if you have an ESV, or it's an propitiation. Old, it's propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. Mm-hmm. Um, so before we jump into the whole world thing, because that's going to be a can of worms. But it's like, okay, we have this, we have two images of Jesus here, two metaphors in, in a sense, where he is our lawyer, our advocate, mm-hmm. right? Uh, like in other extra biblical, outside the Bible literature that use this word paraclete in a similar uh, like situation, yeah. it usually was to refer to a, like a wealthier, well-respected person in the okay. community who would come um, before like a jury of peers uh, not necessarily in a legal courtroom, but yeah. like before their community, and they were accused of something, and this paraclete comes and says, "Hey, um, like forgive him or don't hold this against him, not based on what he has done, but because I have such a high standing in this community. Like mm-hmm. I speak for him, he's okay. He's okay. Is what would happen. Yeah, yeah. And so like Jesus is doing that. He's the the person of high standing in the world, mm-hmm. going before the Father, saying like not based on what they've done, Father, but based on what I have done, like on for my yes. name's sake, yes. forgive them. And then in a sense, you can almost hear this rhetorical question pinging back, which is. On what grounds? That, that's that's the prosecute the yeah, prosecuting the prosecuting attorney, attorney. So the, the Satan the accuser yeah. comes like well but on what grounds then can you say this person is innocent? Yeah, they haven't lived an innocent life, and he's like, oh well, I'm also their propitiation, their atoning sacrifice, mm-hmm. which in a sense is another metaphor. It's, yes, it's it not, is. Not, not say I don't want anybody to hear me and say that I'm 
diminishing that, but he's pulling on the visual categories and the theological categories from Leviticus yes. and from the, the, the Old Testament law. The word is actually uh, halasmon mm-hmm. in Greek, which is the atonement. Mm-hmm. It means atonement. The day of atonement, right? Uh, the the ark had a, a, a cover on it, yep. which was called, called the halasmon. The halasmon, right? right? A version of that, of word, that word right there. Yeah. So there's a really concrete physical idea in people's mind of what a yep. covering That's was. That's where the blood was spilled yes. to pay for your sin to allow access into God. into God. Yes, exactly right. Yeah, and so it's like, you could. I just love that. It's like you, you see the attorney saying like, or like the this person of well standing mm-hmm. saying like, don't judge them based on what they've done, but what I've done. And like, but what, by what grounds? It's like, oh, because I've paid the fee or I've, you know, I've yes. sacrificed myself for... Yes. The, the metaphor gets fuzzy, but... I was reading uh, Peter Lightheart about this, mm-hmm. and he talked about, okay, so atonement, the atonement cover. Yeah. So atonement can just mean covering, like really basically, mm. like God covers over right. your sin. And the way that that happened in the Old Testament was the priest would come up and sprinkle blood on the atonement cover, on the halasmon. That's right. And then what's crazy, he's, he was saying like, well, think about the architecture, the design mm-hmm. of the covering. You had angels that were supposed to, God's feet were supposed to rest on. Mm-hmm. God would look down onto the earth, onto the atoning cover. Oh, yeah. And underneath the atoning cover was representations of God's people, the mm-hmm. law and the, the staff, staff of Aaron. and all yeah. this stuff. And so what happened in that moment? God would look down through the blood of an animal and cover the sins of all mm-hmm. God's people yeah. in that moment on the Day of Atonement. Right, and the broken law was in and there. The broken yeah. law was in yeah. there. So he was reading the broken relationship with God's yeah. people through the blood mm. of a sacrificial animal. So I love that really concrete image here, and I help. I think it actually helps make sense of like the whole world. Like, can Jesus really? Is Jesus died for all the sins of the whole world? Is everyone going to be saved? Is that what this verse is? Is this universalism proved? Right, but I think it's like this really concrete metaphor going back to the temple. Like Jesus uh-huh. is the blood sprinkled. He is the covering that God looks through and sees a people who have broken the law mm-hmm. and offered forgiveness through the sacrifice of his son, Jesus. Right, yes. Yeah, that's, that's an interesting way to, to see it is like since the tabernacle was a picture of the whole world, Yes. God, yeah. It's, yeah, it can't... One commentator I read about this verse is because a, a lot of people who want to um, subscribe to universalism, the idea mm-hmm. that... Um, or Christian universalism, mm-hmm. which is Jesus' death was effective to save everybody in the entire world, no matter what. Yeah. Um, they love this verse. But it's like, man... If uh, But uh, uh, one of the commentators I heard <laughs> said... Uh, but it's easier to say what this verse isn't than what it is. Okay. Uh, so we know it can't be universalism because of several things that John says in this letter itself, like verse uh, 11 of chapter 5. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son does not have life. It's just like you either are in or out based right. on if you have the Son or not. Yeah, and so there's... there's abiding with the Son that is necessary. Yes. The halasmon, the covering, the atonement is part of that, but right. you have to be in that atonement, part of that atonement, right. under that atonement, yes. through that. Yes. And so it's like, in a sense, it's like also Israel, you know, who had the tabernacle, who had the Ark of the Covenant, who had the halasmon in their midst, mm-hmm. was to be a light for the whole world. You know, like Abraham was to be a blessing to all nations, mm-hmm. i.e. the whole world. Yeah. And so in a sense, when God saved Israel, 
he was saving and had plans to save the whole world. Yeah. That this is something that started in an epicenter with a people and was spreading outward. Yeah. In the same way, when Jesus died on the cross, it was particular for his disciples right then, but then it spread out across the whole world, not in a universalist sense, every person, but every tribe, nation, language, tongue, mm-hmm. there, God has always had a global span in view for how yeah. he will bring people to himself. Yeah, God is viewing the whole world, the blood of Jesus, even when the broken law, when their, their sin mm-hmm. is standing underneath it. Yeah. And um, I think this is, I think this is important because remember, let's remember that the, who John is speaking to, people mm-hmm. who are being told wrong things about sin, redefining sin, redefining good and evil, and they're confused about whether or not they're truly in God and how God mm. sees them and knows them. This is like what's happening in the background. And so you have little children. Yeah, I'm writing so that you won't sin. And now you have this picture of God viewing people and saying, hey, even when you do sin, mm-hmm. there is a, a way for you. There's a covering. There's a covering for you. And I keep thinking about Martin Luther's mm. quote when he said, he says, so go and sin boldly. Oh, right. Knowing that you have forgiveness in God on this side. And people get like very freaked yeah, out by yes. that. But I think there's a sense like this is kind of what he's doing to people who are wondering if every sin sends them to hell. Mm-hmm. You don't need to worry about that. Right. You can sin knowing boldly that God will forgive you right. when you trust in his son. Which is not a reason to sin. In so, fact, it's a reason to sin less. It's a, yes, it's a yes. reason to sin less, but it's not a reason to think that you are condemned right. based on the actions of a bad day. That's right. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Okay, is that is that the end of this first set? You talked about different sections. That, yeah, like this is so like, he transitions here from talking about sin, but kind of... Not really, because uh-huh. sin was in the background. It has been like in the foreground for all these chapters, for all this moment. And now he's going to talk about commandments. Mm-hmm. So the opposite of sin, obedience, right? Oh, right, yeah. So verse three, and by this we know that we have come to know if uh, know God if we keep His commandments. Mm. So, so like, okay, so this is a really great question, right? A great rhetorical question in a sense, where it's like, if you have, if you, if if John's writing to a church full of people skeptical about their position with God. Because mm-hmm. they have all these antichrists, all these secessionists, all these false teachers saying like... You've got an accuser. Yeah. You've got an internal critic. Just and they're say. like, you know, we, we have the right doctrine over here, mm-hmm. you know, and like you need to subscribe to what we're saying or else you actually don't know God at all. And then you can imagine what like a balm verse mm-hmm. three would feel mm-hmm. like when it's like, okay, guys, can I just tell you, this is how you know that you know God. This is it. This is how you know. Simple litmus test. If you keep his commandments. Yeah. And it's like, oh, okay. Thank you. That's helpful. The tricky part is when we disobey. Right. So when, but he's already handled that. He's already handled that. Yeah. But so, so if you're if your disobedience been covered by forgiveness, mm-hmm. your if, if your disobedience has been covered by God's forgiveness in Jesus Christ, your obedience is only further proof mm-hmm. that God has done that. Yep. As God is doing a good work in you and that you are part of him and with him. Yeah, it's interesting. He's hemming them in from both sides with, uh, with assurance. Mm-hmm. Because on the one hand, they could say, my sin disqualifies me from being a child of God. And he's yep. saying, no, it doesn't because there's a covering. Mm-hmm. You have an advocate and there's atonement. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then on the other side, it, it, it's like, but I don't like, but like, how do I, then how do I know, you know, or, or that was some or, invisible thing that happened 2000 years ago on the cross. So how do I know? Right. Or even, or even like, I wonder if, 
I wonder like how the the antichrist tried to differentiate themselves, mm-hmm. you know, it's like we are better at obeying or I don't know, you know, but it's like this other side of like okay, so I know my sin doesn't condemn me, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm back to neutral, but then how do I get like a positive out of this? Yeah, yeah, like yeah. how do I have assurance? I know I'm not condemned, how do I know I'm saved? Maybe yes. that's the way to say it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, okay, you're not condemned because there was a covering, but how do I know I'm saved? Well, if you obey. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. And then as soon as you cross that line into like, but what if I don't obey enough? Or right, or like, like well, go back to point. Go one. back to point <laughs> one. See point one. <laughs> There's a covering. I also think that's interesting. And by this, we know that we know we've come to know Him if mm-hmm. we keep His commandments. Like, I think that first no, I think He's using no in two different ways, which is kind of confusing. So, mm-hmm. like, how do we know we're assured? How do we know that we have? How do we fully experience union with God? Well, when we come to keep his commandments, right? His command, keeping his commandment isn't just proof that we are saved. It's actually how we experience God himself. Mm. Part of experiencing the fullness of God and the assurance of God is by doing his commandments. Um, And then the next verse, because he says, well, if you say, I know him, but don't keep his commandments, what you're going to experience is lies. Mm. You're going to experience the lack of truth, the lack of assurance. But whoever keeps God's word in him truly the love of god is perfected mm-hmm. what do these people want to know does god still love me what right. do you want to know does god still love me yes mm. and as you obey you experience more of that love and when you fall short of that new attempt at obedience god forgives you fills you with more of his spirit allows you to do more keeping of the commands yeah. to experience more assurance of him that's really good another thing that might be happening between the like there was a covering you know, uh-huh. and then there's commandments that were in this, like between verses two and verse yeah. three, uh, is one, one commentator I read pointed out that, um, you could ask the question then. So it's like, I'm looking for assurance. You're writing this to me so that I might know. And then it's like, I'm writing this so you, so you won't sin. But if you do sin, there's a covering. And so it's like, uh, and you're saying that like the liars, the antichrists that we know they're wrong because they deny sinning. Right, yep. they don't sin. Mm-hmm. They claim to not sin. Mm-hmm. So then, is my assurance in the fact that I do sin? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know yeah, what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. so it's like, okay, so I sin. So therefore, I'm a Christian. That right. does. That's not where I want to put my assurance. Right. And so it's like you're telling me to name that I do sin, that liars deny sinning. So is my basis of my Christian assurance based on the fact that I struggle with sin? And it's like, okay, maybe partially. Yeah. But that's not where your assurance lies. Your assurance lies in your obedience. Mm-hmm. That you also. Don't sin. Yeah. And so it's just like an interesting balancing yeah. act there. Yeah, you confess your sin because mm-hmm. you know you need help. And right. You're not hiding that fact. God is gracious to forgive you, gracious to give you more of his, of his spirit. You go on continuing to do, keep his commandment, walk as he walked, which mm-hmm. is the ne- very next verse. And God is gracious to repeat that cycle over and over and over again. Yeah. And that's how you're assured. And let's pause right here. Okay. Assurance. Mm. As a, we've just assumed that assurance is good news. Oh, sure. Don't you want to know that you're okay with God? <laughs> is I I from my study, yeah. Christianity is the only religion that offers assurance of salvation and life with God before you die. Mm. Because I mean, at least one of the only major religions. Because I would say that a universalist Unitarian would. Yes, would say but yeah. Even then, a lot of universalism is like, how do you know? Like, yes, it, like, it, it's 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 maybe maybe it's the only religion that gives you particular assurance, right? Right, because most world religions have a certain ethical 
right. commandment that you have to live up to. I was talking to an imam one time, mm -hmm. and I was like, we were talking about the five pillars of Islam. And I was like, well, what happens if I, how do I know if I've kept enough of the commands yeah. to go into paradise? He's like, oh, you'll never know right. until you get that to that day. Yeah. You actually won't know if you achieve moksha or nirvana. You right. actually don't know if you've broken free from the cycle of reincarnation until one day you get there. Mm. Like in every other major world religion, you cannot have assurance in this life. You are in God, except mm. Christianity. It's interesting. Even even uh, Old Testament Judaism mm -hmm. had this co this conditional covenant, mm -hmm. you know, where it's like, if you keep my commandments, it'll go well for you and you'll live long in the land. But if you don't, you'll be kicked out. And it's just like, are we going to be kicked out? We won't know. We won't know. Is Sally down the road breaking the commandments? <laughs> you know? Like, yeah. So it is. There was always that tenuous, what if, how can I know for sure that mm -hmm. I'll be okay? Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, so then it's really good news then that Christianity offers um, assurance. Yeah. And that it's not, and that, and also that it's not a psychological assurance. That's exactly that right. That it's like, you're, you're going to be okay. You know, it's you're fine. You're gonna be fine. No, which I think is universalism. That's mm -hmm. all they can offer is That's psychological right. assurance. Yeah, because uh, they don't believe the functional power of the atoning work of Christ. That's right. All you can have is psychological assurance mm -hmm. that the end of time will work out. For yeah, you. and then whenever you you get depressed and you get in a corner and you say, "But how do I know that I know that I know that right. I'm okay?" And Christianity offers a real historical physical proof that you're okay. Jesus died. His and, blood yeah. is your cover. And he rose again. You are okay. You are okay. You put your stake there. Assurance is yours. Okay. So we know that we have to keep a, keeping the commandments mm -hmm. are part of our assurance. Yes. But what precisely is, are we being commanded to do? Yeah. Which, which commandment? Like all of them, all of them, some of them. Yeah. <laughs> That's so good. Yeah. Which command gives that I obey gives me assurance <laughs> that I'm safe. A lot's riding on this. Yes. I need to know. Yeah, that's really good. So yeah, he breaks it down for us, right? Right. It's the very next verse. Right. Like I've asked a hypothetical question that's not in the text, yes. which he is assuming we're asking yes. and leading into verse seven. Right. Which says, beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. Super, okay. Super fun. Yeah. Especially then he, when he says, but at the same time, it's also a new commandment. And you're right. like, wait, hold on. I'm so confused. I think he's referencing John 13, 34. Definitely. Where Jesus quotes an old commandment, an old commandment and says it's new and says it's a new commandment <laughs> yes. because it's being fulfilled in him right. as he's washing his disciples feet. When also the reason why it's an old commandment and a new commandment, the, the, the commandment is what love, love, your, your, love, love your neighbor as yourself yes. was the old commandment. Ah, yes, but yes, the yes, new yes. commandment is love your neighbor as I have loved you. Mm -hmm. So it's a higher calling. It is a higher calling. Yeah, it's like, oh, love your neighbor as you love yourself. You feed yourself, feed your neighbor. Mm -hmm. You clothe yourself, clothe your neighbor. But how has Jesus loved us? He died for us. He gave everything for us. Mm -hmm. You like that's how I want you to love your neighbor. It's yes. like, oh, that's a ratcheting up. That is so it's an old up. commandment in that mm -hmm. love your neighbor as yourself is a, is an old idea, but mm -hmm. it's also new because Jesus ramped it up and yes. it, and fulfilled it. And and I think this goes to exactly what you're saying. He also says, this commandment is the word that you have heard. Yes. Which is a callback to 1 John. That's right. Chapter 1, verse 5. 
This is the message that you have heard and proclaimed to you, that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. Like John sums up the whole gospel message in those three words, mm-hmm. God is light. And we unpacked that all in last week's podcast. Yes. Like, that word, that God is light, the gospel message. That's the commandment. That's the command. Mm-hmm. The commandment is the gospel. Yes. I'm like, wait, what? Hold on. Uh, <laughs> what do you mean by that? Yes. At the same time, uh, sorry, um, okay. Verse 8 continues the confusion. (laughs) At the same time, it is a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him and in you, Mm. because the darkness is passing away, God is light, Mm -hmm. and the true light is already shining Mm -hmm. in Jesus Christ. So it's interesting. It's like he's, I think you you can follow the train of thought here where it's like, I'm writing to no new commandment, but an old commandment. And here's the commandment. What's the old commandment that would pop into someone, a Jewish reader's head? It would be, oh yeah, love your neighbor as yourself. Mm -hmm. Got it. And he's like, yeah. And that commandment is fulfilled in the word that you've heard. That mm-hmm. commandment was fulfilled typologically, prophetically, however, in Jesus. God he is, is the one who loved you mm-hmm. as he loved himself. That's right. Right. Which is an amazing thing for God to do. Because like, anyway, without getting into like all the Christian hedonism, everything, where yeah. it's like, how does God love himself? He loves himself as the most supreme good, oh, best gosh, being. Yes. And he loves us like that? Whoa. That's crazy to think about God loving us as he loves himself. It's just crazy to think crazy about that. Think about that, that just threw me for a little <laughs> sidestep loop. You went loop. like a theological like, tangent in your mind for a second. Like, I'm worshiping right now. Wait, hold on a second. Other thing. Uh, so then it's like, and then it's like, you can almost see John processing in real time where it's like, okay, so God loved you as he loved himself. That's the, that's the old commandment. And it's in Jesus, the word mm-hmm. that's happening. Oh, at the same time, that's, that's a, that is actually the new commandment that I wrote about in my gospel that Jesus said, because he said that he laid his life down for you. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm talking about. Yes. That's the command. Jesus laid his life down for you and loves you so much. Obey that commandment. Is, is that, is that a, is that a gospel to be proclaimed yeah. or a, <laughs> a, a commandment, commandment to, to be do. obeyed? Yeah. Yeah. But, it's, it's confusing. So what, so, I mean, that's the question to ask then. So what does it mean to obey the gospel? Well, so he says it. The darkness is passing away okay. because the light of God has come in Jesus. The darkness is passing away and the true light is now shining from his from the empty tomb. Mm-hmm. Jesus, as the one who loves us as he loves himself, is living and reigning in the heavens. Mm. Whoever says he is in that light mm-hmm. and hates his brother is still in the dark. So he's still pulling on that old command, he's like st- the actual command. Love, yes. love your neighbor as Christ has loved you. So, I mean, there is an ethical way you live your life component yes. to being a gospel believer. You cannot be in the light that died for you mm. and not die for others. Right. You can't walk in that light if your life doesn't reflect the sacrificial love of Jesus. Like, yep. it's, impo- it's it's a lie. Yeah, you can't live in two realities. You can't. You can't be in light and dark. That's exactly. It's one or the other. You're cut from this cloth or that cloth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay, that's helpful. So whoever loves his brother then abides in the light. Right. Which is exactly what we just said. Mm-hmm. And in him, there is no cause for stumbling. Mm. So this kind of, we don't know if we talked about this last week, but part of what light does is it guides Oh, right. It provides... Yeah. Thy, thy word is a lamp or a light unto my feet. Even like God revealing himself as light to the Israelites in the wilderness and the mm-hmm. pillar of fire, mm-hmm. he guided them through the dark nights in the wilderness. He, like He ushered in all of creation into existence by saying, let there be light. That's exactly right. Yeah. So whenever you love your brother, you are 
living out as a light in yourself, but you are following the light mm. that has created the world, has guided God's people for centuries. Like right. that's how you know which way you're going right. is by loving God. That's helpful then. So it's like, okay, so how, what does it look like to obey his commandments? Cause that's, okay, let's kind of go back. Cause we're saying mm. our assurance is based on whether or not we obey the commandment. Mm-hmm. What is the commandment that Jesus died for you? That's and then, but how do you obey that by being the by being like Jesus, mm-hmm. by being like the one who died walking for you? Walking as He walked, walking right. in the light, and being then, like the light. But how do I, as a sinful human, uh, not stumble in the darkness? How do I not go back to hating people? Yeah, you know, how do I love others? And it's it's by the word that you've heard. I think I think it's by remembering everything that He said. It's like like by abiding in uh, Christ. I see what you're saying. You yes. know, it's like by abiding in Christ, you won't hate your brother. Yeah, there's a double way to be assured of your salvation by remembering that God as Jesus as your brother died for you mm-hmm. and by loving your own brother. Right. Those are dual realities. Like he's hedging your bets. How do you when you fail to love your brother? Well, remember that Jesus your brother died for you. That's right. And now go love your brother around you. Right. And as you love your brother more and more, you'll be more reminded of the fact that Jesus your brother died for you. You will be filled with more of that brotherly love by his spirit and you will continue to love others and you have the cycle of remembering and being filled by and loving yeah. sacrificially your brother, which is by the way is just a symbolic way to talk about your neighbor mm-hmm. and those around you. It doesn't have oh, to right. just be like a physical brother. Yes. I yeah. wanted that to be said. Well, that was, I don't even know if that's what I was aiming at, but that's way better. Oh. I have no idea. <laughs> but that was like, yeah, that's really good. I really love that. The spirit is like hidden in this book. Because mm. I keep thinking about that. It's like, well, what mechanism, like, how yeah. does this work out? Well, the spirit, obviously, he right. fills us with this, like we abide in him, we're with him, we have fellowship with him. He's like this assumed member of this, of like, mm. of our assurance that's not really talked about, which I think is odd. Well, I wonder but. if because of the heresy that centered around the father-son dynamic from the Antichrist, uh-huh. if he just wanted to double down on the father-son relationship that existed between father and son and Jesus and the father. Yeah. yeah. And then just to cap this point off before we kind of move into the next section, mm-hmm. verse 11 says, but whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and doesn't know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Loving your brother guides you, mm-hmm. gives you light, no, lets you know where you're going, but not loving your brother only increases your sense of alienation from God. Oh, interesting. So in the same way that we love our brother mm-hmm. and that confirms the fact that we've been loved by Jesus and makes us love our brother more. Yes. In the same way, when we hate our brother, we actually sink further and further into darkness and despair and disassurance. Mm-hmm. Yes. Because what are we doing that moment we fail to love our brother? We're denying that Jesus as our brother died for us. That's right. And that his his death means anything. We're living in the dark. We're living in the dark. Which is another, like, could be another metaphor in John for a lack of assurance. It could be. Yes. Yeah. That's interesting. Yes, that's exactly right. So, yeah, which is just like you want to you want to know that you're saved, you know? You want assurance. So like just love people around you. And it's like I think the love sacrificially unto death people around yes, you. I right. think like that's yeah. important to say. I think one thing that comes up here then for me is like uh and I and the answer's self-evident, right? It's it's like well because Jesus died for us. But the question still gets asked to me, which is like how is that not works-based salvation or works-based assurance where it's like, mm-hmm. how do I know I'm saved based on how I'm obeying the commandment to love my brother? Uh-huh. And it's like, so if I want to know that I'm saved, I better love everybody around me really well. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. But that's like, 
not I the whole it, equation. Is it's it? not the whole equation. It's it's reductionistic to yes. say that's what John's saying. Yes. John has, I think he's done a good job of like confirming us in the covering of Jesus Christ while also talking about the role obedience and love play in our assurance because mm. salvation and assurance aren't the same thing. We can't earn our salvation. Good works don't contribute to our salvation. Right. Good works are a necessary outflow of our salvation. Mm. They're proof of our salvation. They're proof of our salvation. Yep. But like when it comes to the the and assurance is like a psychological thing. Oh, it's true. It's like how do I know I'm saved? Like yep. how do I know God loves me? It's like, well, that is a different kind of question to the one, am mm. I saved or not? Oh, true. From a legalistic yes or no check a box question is different than the assurance question. Yes. So, am I is different than how do I know? Yes. Yeah. And so I think that's what he's doing there. It's like good works, loving your neighbor, sacrificially dying for them functions as a way to know you're saved, not mm -hmm. as a way to, to earn your salvation, mm -hmm. but as a way to be reminded of the salvation Jesus has already done for you and to assure you that you truly are his. Because yes. you're walking the light with him. You're like yep. your brother right now, right. right? Well, it's kind of like another way to put it is like, how do I know that this is a healthy apple tree? Mm -hmm. Does Are there apples on it? Do they yep. taste good? Yep. You know, it's like you'll know a tree by its root, you know? And it's like you don't go to, to a, an oak tree mm -hmm. and just start impaling apples on the limbs and be like, I've made an apple tree. Right. No, you haven't. <laughs> yes, you have. <laughs> no, you haven't. Yeah. Uh, Monty yes, you Python have. quote for if you no one knows. Go on to Monty Python. Just type it on YouTube. Monty Python. It's just argument. Yeah, I think just argument. It we'll find it. Really it's very funny. funny. Anyway, we quoted a lot. Okay, great. I think um, I feel settled there. Great. And so maybe just to cap off this section and to go back to how I started, like, what does it mean to not sin? Oh, yeah. Okay. We're going to kind of finish that conversation when we do not love the world. Mm -hmm. We're talking about loving our brother here. We'll talk about not loving the world in a second. But John has done a really clever way of designing everything that we've just read. So he started chapter one, verse five, which we started last week mm -hmm. by talking about light and darkness. We just had a section here ending with light and darkness. There's a whole section about sin and forgiveness. And then there was a whole section about keeping the commandment. And then we had like, here's the new commandment. Mm -hmm. But you know what the one thing in that like repetition, like chiastic flow is missing is a corresponding section about sin. So you have light and darkness at the beginning, mm -hmm. light and darkness at the end. Okay. You have keeping the commandments and the new commandments in the middle. Oh, yes. And then. What's at the dead center? The dead center is walk as he walked. Okay. That's like, the, okay. that's the synopsis. Walk as Jesus walked. Walk okay. as God walked. Yep. But right after light and darkness, there's a section about sin and forgiveness in mm -hmm. chapter one, verse eight, leading up to Jesus as the last Oh, one. right, yeah. There is nothing about sin in the back half of the chiasm. Huh. It's almost as if he's hinting at what he says later on. Those that know God do not sin. Mm. Sin has been erased from his literary structure. Wow. Because in the life of the believer, sin has been erased by the loving presence of God and the guilt or unassurance of not knowing or how mm. how much sin is too much or whatever is taken away by the fact that we love our neighbor love our brother that's cool i thought that was cool too that's really cool i'm trying to like figure out a way to bring that down <laughs> yeah to our listeners who aren't obsessed with chiasms like we are uh but i'm i'm struggling but it's kind of like uh if, if you were just following along with a really predictable plot of a movie mm -hmm. and they yanked out that one piece that's always a part of the formula to prove a point yes and it's like uh, oh, here we go. Mm -hmm. It's it's Frozen. It's okay. the Frozen movie. Okay. And you thought that Hans, the mm -hmm. the prince mm -hmm. that Anna loves, yes. was was going to be true love's first kiss, and it's going to yep. solve everything and thaw a frozen heart. And actually, he's the bad guy. 
and it's actually like her self-sacrificial love for her sister that thaws her heart. They flipped the standard Disney script yes, of like, exactly kiss right. the prince, true love's kiss will thaw your heart. And like, no. And they did it for a reason, to make a point. Make and it stood point. out to everybody. And, it, and, and that's what John's doing. He's building this very, very clear chiasm, which to a Hebrew reader is like, yes, I know. I've seen this before. Lot di dot di what? And it's like, where's the sin part? And right. he's like, it's been erased. And, uh, yes, yeah. that's exactly That's right. cool. That's cool. I it's didn't pretty, see that. That's it's really pretty neat. cool. I thought it was cool too. Like everything has a parallel. Light and darkness has a parallel. Right. The commandments have a parallel. You have this middle section about keeping... We're following uh, Jesus. Following Jesus, yep. but you don't have a parallel, a parallel to the sin section. That's cool. Because you've been forgiven. You've been forgiven. The halasman is there. Yes. That's cool. Okay, so are we about to go into the last section? All Sorry. right, here we go. Okay, so uh, now we're entering into this last section that we're going to cover today. And it's this, and we, I think we teased it in the introduction episode of First John. This is this like sweet poem that he writes to this church that he loves. Yep. Uh, and, he, and he starts off by referencing um, the members of the congregation with this uh, term that he uses throughout the letter, technia. Uh, children. Which is little, dear, yes. sweet, tiny children. Darling. Yeah, darling, my darling children. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's not the the typical word for child in yeah. Greek. It's a, it's a term of endearment, and so um, he's not saying like because uh, he's gonna he's gonna reference what looks like three groups: mm-hmm. little children, fathers, fathers young men. Mm-hmm. But little children is church, mm-hmm. is all the people, and then he's gonna talk to the older people in the church, the fathers, and he's gonna talk to the younger people in the church. It's a family. It's family. So he's talking to like, hey, hey, church. Uh, Which is significant because okay, we just yeah. talked about brothers. Love oh, your right. brother. And now he's gonna sh- now he's gonna like show love to his, mm-hmm. his to his brothers. Yes. Yeah. Your okay. fathers who are brothers and your the young men who are brothers, yeah. the children who are brothers. Yeah. Right. So he's gonna say, I'm writing to you, church, little children. Why? <laughs> because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. Uh, I'm writing to you fathers because you have known him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you young men because you've overcome the evil one. I mean, it's just like He's, he's singling people out in a sense. Mm-hmm. Like he wants people to he, like perk their ears up at this point and be like, hey, I'm writing to you. Listen, mm-hmm. you know, and then he gives them a definitive statement about their standing before God. Yep. And it's like, this is just an assurance song. Yeah. He's singing assurance over them. Mm-hmm. Hey, you have been forgiven. You do know God. You have overcome the evil one. You know, and it's like, man, that's like, thank you, John. I really needed to hear that. You know, it's like we've been talking this whole time. How do I know that I'm saved? These antichrists have said that I'm I'm not. The chiasm ends. Sin is gone. Uh, how do I know? Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll obey the commandments, and that is how I'll know I'm assured. Yeah. Uh, and then you just, even I, after, after wrapping the last sec- section, I'm just like, okay, my brain's like trying to hold all these things together. And then I just kind of like get to stop and let John sing assurance over me. It's nice. It's very nice. A good it's, pastoral move It's by a good John. pastoral move by John. <laughs> And I also think it does an, a different type of a work of assurance, the assurance that you're describing, but it mm-hmm. also assures the community that they have within their own selves different ways to be assured. Mm. Little children, you're all little children and right. you've all been forgiven of sin. Right. Fathers, you know who him who is from the beginning. These young guns out here, they don't know what it's like to suffer. They don't know what it's like to have trials and tribulations. You've been through it. You knew him who was from the beginning. You, young ones, look to the fathers. They know the, the God who will mm-hmm. pre- preserve you. 
And I'm writing you young men because you've overcome the evil one. The old guys are too staid in their ways. They like, they're a little too conservative. They don't know what it looks like to be zealous and passionate. And they're looking to you to provide that. I, I don't know how much of a central focus that was. Yeah. But I think the fact that he's singling out the whole church about their forgiveness mm-hmm. and sin and then stealing out fathers and young men. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, you're actually telling the young men what to be encouraged by by the father and you're telling the fathers how to be encouraged by the young men mm. which i think is an he's it's an assurance psalm he's yeah doing a whole bunch of work here yeah it is an, another way that he's assuring them differently here too is just like he's been assuring them with logic and theology mm-hmm. you know it's like yes. okay let's lay out an argument i it's even in a chiasm like this is a tight two like one and a half chapter argument for how you know that you 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 are saved and the antichrists are wrong and it's like, okay, did you guys get that? It's like, let's try it another way. Let me just tell you, sweet little children, everything's okay. Jesus died for your sins. You know who God is. You've overcome the evil one. It's true. Take there's, rest. There's a community around you who knows this God yeah. is fighting the devil. Just, we're we're, we're, we're going to get through it. Yeah. It's just like, you think about like different types of learners, you know, and everything. Yeah. And it's just like, oh, thank for you. For the poets in the audience. For the poets in the audience. Let me give you this. <laughs> this let me spit a rhyme. Um, fun, like, uh, detail thing mm. here. So this is... A whole bunch of threes. Yes. Uh, little children, fathers, and young men. That's uh-huh. a, triad, a triad. Right. And he does it twice. Yes. And in the second triad, when he speaks to the third group, young men, he gives three things rather than just one thing. I write to mm. you, men, because you are strong. The word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. Mm. And that leads into a section about overcoming the world, yes. which is also full of triads oh right the world is mentioned six times Mm -hmm. love is mentioned three times lust is mentioned three times god is mentioned three times so you have this poem of threes leading to a way to overcome the world talked about in groups of threes wow is there in in a sense that there was like a theological point that john was making when he yanked out sin from the chiasm like i have been trying to think (laughs) about like why threes john and i don't have a great one. We'll put it to our audience. We'll put it to our... If you can figure out why three... It, it could have been jo- John being clever and Yeah, being like, just beautiful. It's, it's beautiful. just good writing. It's just good writing. Good Hebrew writing. And I wish I could have been smart enough to even think of that as a, as a, yeah. as a device. That's really um, good. And like, because beauty is its own kind of... As we were saying, like, there's something... The aesthetic quality of a poem yeah. assures us in a different way. It does. It makes us feel like there's order in the world. Yes. And it's like, okay, things are going to be okay and come together right. But hey... If you have any thoughts, podcast audience, of why uh, John is using groups of three from twelve, uh, from chapter 2, 12 through 17, send us an email at podcast at spokengospel.com. We'd love to hear from you. Hear, or we could just go study for another four hours. Or we could just go read some more commentaries. We'll just wait for your email. Yeah. Instead, you guys do the work. You guys do the work for us. <laughs> That's good. Um, uh, okay. Yeah. Awesome. So he's... He, he triples down with mm-hmm. the young men at the end. Mm-hmm. You're strong. God's word abides you. You've overcome the evil one. Now, let's talk about overcoming the world. That's right. Okay, so verses 15 through 17 talk about overcoming the world. Uh, so do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, that's the world's already been said three times, the mm. love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever oh so again in verse 17 we have that repetition of 
the light is already shining. The mm -hmm. darkness is already fleeing. That's how you know you've won. Mm -hmm. Again, the world is passing away. God's will abides forever. He mm -hmm. he continues to pull You're on that overcoming theme. Overcoming them. God's yep. word abides in you. God abides forever. Mm -hmm. Like all the same themes are being woven in. Even that theme, and you can even read that theme into like, um, I write this to you that you won't sin, but if you do sin, you know, in that feedback loop of the more we have assurance in what Jesus has done for us as our halasman, the less we sin. Mm -hmm. And the more we do that, the more we love our brother. And it's like, oh, the darkness is fleeing, the light is coming, the victory's been won, and now we're in the process of taking more ground. Yes. And so it's like, what does that look like? It means not loving the world, not giving your heart to the world. Love isn't just loving your brother, mm -hmm. but it's not oh. loving the things that God that are opposed to God, which is like me assuming what what is the what is the world? Mm. Because if love is loving your brother as God has loved you, but God didn't God also love the world that He gave right. His own Son? Yes. So what is He talking about? Yeah. I think defining the world here is going to be helpful in a second. But you're right; yeah. there is a feedback loop here that mm -hmm. we're dealing with, and we're coming back to old themes. And then but, the other thing you brought up, which is just interesting, is He's continuing on from His previous argument, which is. Uh, like love others. That's the command that gives you assurance. Uh -huh. If you hate others, you aren't in God. You aren't in the light. Uh, instead, if you hate others, you have to love something. We all love yes. something. So what do you love if you don't love others? You love the world. Yeah, and I think it's important even just to name as an idea is that love actually necessitates not loving other things. It's exclusive. Like loving your brother actually means you'll hate things or mm -hmm. not love things that harm your brother. Right. Um, like there is an exclusiveness to love that needs to be acknowledged in order to understand John. Right. Like he's saying like, love your brother, but don't love the world. Right. So it's just, that is interesting. Yeah. yeah. There's an exclusiveness to love. Like if, if I say I love my wife and in the same way I love another woman, that's not good. I don't love my wife. It's not good. That's not good. It's not good. <clears throat> so it's like, I have to, in a sense, not hate other women. Right, I, which is important. He doesn't say hate the world. Right. He says, do not love But I world. do not love other women the way that I love my wife. And that is yeah. good. Yeah. As, okay, so we have an exclusive love for God, which leads to a love of others. And it, necessi it necessitates an exclusion of the way we interact with the world. We don't love the world the way we love God. So what is that like? Now let's so, unpack that. So what the really the question you have to ask is, what is John referring to when he says the world? Right. Does he mean sunsets? Yeah, I'm not supposed to love good food. Right. Does he mean um, people that aren't Christian? Right. Does he like? Does he like, mean R-rated movies? Right. That's that's exactly <laughs> right. Yeah. So I think it's like. I think that's kind of the way I heard it growing up. Mm -hmm. It was like, don't love the world. Don't love the things the world creates. Oh, there don't are, yeah, don't love worldly things. Like the secular world. The secular world. And that's like as intense as like pornography mm -hmm. and also R-rated movies and dancing. Dan yes. Yeah. Um, although I was in a charismatic church, so dancing was allowed. That's right. That's but right. I was with, in a Baptist church, so, so it was not allowed. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I think he's after asking me a little bit more here. I think it's helpful to go back to the book of John. Uh, yeah, you know, usually so, seeing another person's uh, material is helpful to understand yes, how they flesh out terms. Potentially even the same author's material to yes. see how he, he he holds it out. So this yep. is from John 15. Okay. And this is where he talks about the world as well and the world persecuting Jesus mm. and persecuting his disciples. This is 1 John 15, 18. He says, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would not love its own. Yet 
the world would love its own. Mm. Yet, because you are not of the world, and I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. So who's he talking about here? Well, he goes on a few verses later. He's like, all this happened so the word would be fulfilled, which was written in their law. Mm. Whose law? The law of the Pharisees who were persecuting Jesus. Right. They hated me without a cause. Mm. So John, back in his gospel, believed the world could be synonymous with a Phariseeism, right. with a religious establishment mm -hmm. that was bent on persecuting Jesus. Right. Uh, yeah, a, a type of antichrist. They were yeah. against Christ. That's exactly right. Right. Yeah, they were opposed to the Messiah of God. <laughs> okay. That's, yeah, so I think it's interesting just to have in the back of our mind the world can one refer to religious conservatives <laughs> sure right like in in whatever sense you want to take that as well as something as broad as probably the pornography in sexual exploitation industry right okay so we're on both ends of the spectrum now so we're actually after something a little more complex than something the world creates mm. it can't just be a product it can't just be a synagogue it actually has to be something more underneath the surface than that mm. so which is why the next part of that verse says if anyone loves the world the love of the father is not in him and all that is in the world the desires of the flesh the desires of the eyes and the pride of life it's like all these are internal motivations mm -hmm. these aren't external products right but motivating factors in the products they create that's helpful right that's helpful so like when he says the, when he says the world what does he mean he means the desires of the flesh the desires of the eyes and the pride of life and like that those those things have generated all kinds of sinful institutions, yes, including the antichrists, and, including pornography, and things that are kind of neutral, right? That seem like Facebook, right? Or yeah, you yeah, know, it's yeah. like it's like so. It's it, it's not so simple. It's like just don't have anything to do with Target. That's be, right. Because of X Y Z. Yeah, don't like, go. Yeah, it's what's going on in your heart. Is there love of the world? Is there desire of the flesh? Is there desire of the eyes? Is there the pride of life? in you and do you love those things mm -hmm. do you relish whenever your eyes are filled with lusty thoughts you know like it's just yeah the way that i wrote it down in my notes was like so the world i think maybe the world is culture mm. that's a, maybe a more helpful like there's a culture of desire yeah there's a culture of lust that wants to kill jesus mm -hmm. and give you everything you desire on your insides yeah. like there's a culture of lust that exists desire and lust is the world's operating system. The world has built a system that can feed its own lusts and your lust and desire is encouraged by the world. They mm. want you to desire the things that they made for you desire. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yes. Like, uh, I don't know if I'm being as clear as I want to be, Yeah. but I think that feels more, I think the world as culture has built sorry the world has built a culture mm -hmm. around these three things that uh supposedly satisfy us right the desires of the flesh the desires of your eyes the pride of life here's what you have isn't this beautiful to see doesn't this make you feel good and comfortable and the world has built a culture that fills those things in with sin in like a mm -hmm. sinful way and then we come out and we love that the world for giving us those things mm -hmm. and so we develop a desire of the flesh and desires of the eyes and the pride of life the world meets those needs and we create a new feedback loop 
Yes. It's the wrong, it's the anti-feedback loop that we're supposed to have with Jesus died for me in love, I love my neighbor sacrificially. Jesus died for me in love, I love my neighbor sacrificially. This is, don't you want this thing for yourself? Yes, I want that thing for myself. Thank you. Don't you want more for yourself? Yes, I do want more for myself. And we get in this other dark spiral. Yeah, you have a dark love yep. spiral yep. and a holy love spiral. That's right. Um, and I, th I think this goes back to the Garden of Eden. Yes, I do too. So think about what he just defined the world as. Mm -hmm. The lust or the desire of the flesh, mm -hmm. eyes, and the pride of life. What does Eve do when she sees the fruit? Right. She says it looked good. Mm -hmm. It was desirable for eating. Yeah, it was good for food. And yep. it, it made her wise. Made her wise. And the serpent said, you would not die. Right. It was the promise of life. Right. The fall was based around these premises, mm -hmm. the, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eye, the pride of life. Right, and if and he just came off in verse 14 saying, you've overcome the evil one. That's Satan. That's Satan. And then he's like, so don't love the things that Satan loves and offers you, right. which are the same thing he's always offered ever since the fall. Yeah. It's the same thing. And, and, and the fall has perpetuated this dark echo chamber, mm -hmm. right? Of lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. Ooh, yes, give me that. And then we love it. We fall, we fall in love with the world. Like we fall in love with mm -hmm. the lies of Satan. This is how you can have life. Define good and evil for yourself. This is how you can have life. Be comfortable. Like put your own comfort and needs over the comfort and needs of others. Mm -hmm. That's how you can have life. And we're like, yeah. oh yeah, that feels really good. And so we hate our brother and we look out for number one. Yes. Yeah, and we're in a dark echo chamber. Eve's children have created a society and a world and a culture mm -hmm. that feed back the loot, the lie that Satan told. That's right. Which is interesting because lie and truth is another theme That's that right. goes throughout here. But now we're lying to ourselves. We're lying to ourselves. We're calling that, God a liar. The world will make me happy. You know, that's why I love it. Right. <laughs> yeah. So think about then God as being a liar in this context. Mm. When we say the world can give us what we want, yeah. that's actually lying, calling, calling God, God a liar. Because he says, come to me. And I will give you rest. He's like, but have you laid in a lazy boy? <laughs> That's pretty restful. You know, like, oh, yeah. come to me and I will give you rest. But have you ever Netflix and chilled? <laughs> I have. I have. Maybe not in that sense. Or maybe in that sense. But also, have you just sat on the couch and watched Netflix? Because That's great, too. Yeah. And it's like, that's comfort, right? Now, this might be getting a little too far into okay. the allegorical train. Okay. But I, I keep thinking about, like, okay, loving the world mm -hmm. is actually a way to call God a liar. Right. I think about the Garden of Eden, the food, the wisdom offered by the snake, and the supposed authority they had over their life and self-determination between good and evil. Mm -hmm. And I think about what was supposed to be offered in the tabernacle, in the temple, and at the Halasmon, mm -hmm. at the Ark of the Covenant. What was inside the Ark of the Covenant? It was the law. Mm -hmm. It was food, bread for mm -hmm. the, in the wilderness, and it was authority. It was Aaron's staff. Right. And you have in the Garden of Eden kind of a rejection of God's wisdom, God's mm, food, right, and God's authority. Yeah. The lie is you can have those things for yourself. Oh, right. The lie is sin is grabbing those things for yourself. Mm. But we have a covering that says all those things are available to you now. In Christ. In Christ. Right. The desires of the world don't mean anything anymore mm. because they've been given to you by the covering. The covering is there so you have access to the wisdom of God, the law of God, the commandments of God, the mm. food of God, the authority, the authority of God, yeah. the glory of God yeah. is yours in Jesus. 
that might be going a little too far on the allegorical spectrum, but like I was meditating on that as I was reading through this. Yeah. Well, I mean, to say it another way, that's just a little closer to home to first John is, um, God gives us these things. Mm-hmm. The desires of the flesh are met in Jesus. You know, like right. I, I, the, 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 the desires of our eyes go back to the very beginning. If you want to talk about the desires of our eyes, right? What we have seen, what we've touched, you know, we met God in the flesh. In Jesus, we've seen the light of the world. I'm talking about lust of the eyes, like that's enough, right. isn't it? To see yeah. the light of the world is like all of this is available for us in Jesus, um, which I think is like the good news to end on here. And probably um, verse 17 says it really well. Like all those things that you love are passing away, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. It's like if you want something good and beautiful, like don't you want the, wouldn't you rather have the Garden of Eden than the fall? Like, wouldn't you rather have stayed in the Garden of Eden than believe the lies of the serpent? Like, I think when we read Genesis 3 and we hear about Adam and Eve being deceived, it's easy for us to be like, I would have never fallen for that trick. I fall for it every day. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. I fall for it every day. The same stupid three-part lie, I still believe. Yeah, the culture of lust, lie, and darkness always feel less satisfying than love, truth, and light. Yeah. But they're not. Right. Yeah, so that's what abides forever is like the fact that we have a covering from God. Um, yeah, there's a lot to think about. I feel just like heavy yes. with it all. Go back again. What's one of the central words John keeps using? Mm. It's the word abide. Yeah. It's the word fellowship. It's with. Yeah. It's in. Whoever does the will of God abides forever. What did he just say to the young men? Because you are strong and the word of God abides in you, you have overcome the evil one. Mm. The world is complicated. Yeah. The world is full of desirable things, new ways, innovative ways, creative ways for you to repeat the fall right. uh, of Adam and Eve. God abides in you mm. and he is helping you by his power as you remember his sacrifice on the cross that you have all the food, pleasure, wisdom, mm. law, authority you could want in him. Mm. Don't love the world or the things of the world. Love the kingdom and all these things will be added unto you. Yes. I'm also thinking about, to, to wrap things up and to go back to assurance for a second, since that's kind of been a theme for us today, is like the snake in the garden was offering an assurance. Like he undercut their assurance. Like, did God really say uh-huh. that you, you would die? And he's like, oh, I don't know. And their assurance started to get sh- shook, you know? And it's like, I think when, when, when we grab on and love the world we're trying to cope with our lack of assurance it's like i need security and i need to know that i'm okay here and now and i need to have an identity and have like pleasure and and like just feel okay here in this chaotic world and i need to grab it for myself and you're trying to get life for yourself and and like god's like love me and i will give you everything your heart desires i'll give you even more and like it's just interesting to think of assurance as an antidote to sin. Ah, uh, yeah. You know, it's like, if you could just have assurance, you would love me more and love the world less. You know, it's just like, mm-hmm. uh, it's just an interesting way to think about and sin it, is attacking our assurance. Right, we, yes. So. That's right, that's true. No, and it's it's like so often we think that God is up there in heaven not wanting us to sin because he's mm. mean. Mm. And he doesn't want us to have fun. Yeah. But it's like, no, no, sin is attacking your ability to have what you most desire. Right. 
me, life, authority, wisdom. Yeah, rest, assurance. Yeah, that's, totally. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, that's good. It's attacking the garden I wanted to live in you with, where we could abide together forever. Yeah. And now God's bringing the garden back. He's bringing abiding with him forever back. And how is he doing that? By dying for our sins on the cross and giving us assurance that that day is coming by us remembering that Jesus died for us and then loving our neighbor. Like, that's cool. And like loving our neighbor, we're living in the garden early mm-hmm. when we love our neighbor, you know? Yeah. We're unworking the lies of the serpent when we love our neighbor. Uh, that's cool. That's cool. That's good. All right. Well, we'll continue going through First John. It's going to be the Antichrist yeah, next week, right? We've talked a lot about the Antichrist and the things the Antichrist talk about, but John spends a good bit of time in two different places mm-hmm. in First John talking specifically about what the Antichrist taught and who they are. And I would also want to do a little bit of like, is the this Antichrist, these Antichrists, the same one that As we're supposed the... to talk about at the end of time? Right. Is this the beast? Is this like... Yeah. So... It'll be a fun episode. It'll be a fun episode. Come back for the Antichrist episode next yes. week. That'll be that'll be a, a big one. Okay. Yeah. Well, thank you guys for listening. Uh, we hope you've enjoyed our first podcast and the new equipment. Thank you guys for helping with that. Yes, and we will you see you next week. Thank you for listening to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. Spoken Gospel creates short films, devotionals, and podcasts like this one. Everything we make is free because of generous supporters like you. To see our resources, visit SpokenGospel.com or subscribe to our YouTube channel. Thanks for listening. See you next week.